At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic, whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Corey Williams to talk about his experience with tropical and fruit tree gardening. Corey spent five years in radio in Flagstaff and 12 years on TV in Phoenix, Arizona as a sports anchor and reporter for channels 12 and 15. He now lives in Chandler, Arizona, owns a video production company called Studio 9 Production. Corey got into farming and gardening after going to Napa Valley, Sonoma, California about 15 years ago and was inspired to start growing grapes. With each move, he has planted more and more at each house, and finally, four years ago, he and his wife purchased a home on an acre and a half in Chandler, Arizona. As soon as they moved, they started planting. He started by just focusing on gardening and some vines, and then over the last couple years, jumped in headfirst into full-fledged tree farming. He now has over 150 trees, vines, and fruiting plants, and he is proud to claim that he planted every single one himself and maintains them all. Corey is happily married, has four kids, ages six, four, and two, and just welcomed a brand new baby to their family. Congratulations, and welcome to the show today, Corey. Thank you so much, Greg. That was quite an introduction there. (laughs) Hey, there was a lot of good material to work with. So I (laughs) should... Well, thanks. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? 
Yeah, absolutely. So started 2001, I decided to take a trip out to Napa Sonoma because I was just very interested in wine, wine, vine mm-hmm. farming. Also, I've always loved beer and hops and everything that goes into beer and wine. So I decided to take a trip out to Napa Sonoma and went out there during the fall, um, just actually during the crush period. So when they were taking all the grapes off the vines and crushing them to eventually make wine with. Uh-huh. But uh, with all the colors on the grapevines, all the leaves changing color, I, I never realized just how beautiful oh, grapevines yes. can be, yeah. especially in the fall. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. Just all the autumn colors. You always think of autumn in the Midwest with all the different colors on the trees. Really, grapevines look the same way. I mean, they get those really beautiful oranges and uh, auburn and the red, and it just they just pop. And so I spent a week out there and absolutely fell in love with everything, you know, as far as great vines and even checked out a couple uh, farms that grew hops and just loved everything about it. So as soon as I got back to Phoenix, it was I, I in my mind, I thought, you know what, if they can grow it there, there's got to be a way we can grow great vines here. And so I went out and bought a couple of Merlot grape vines mm-hmm. and started going, uh, started with Merlot grapes. That was 2001. And then Lived in that house for a couple of years, then moved to another house out in Gilbert and planted Cabernet and Merlot grapes, Ooh. grapevines out there, mm-hmm. and had a lot of success with those. And actually, there's magazine, Arizona Wine and Vines magazine, Vines and Wine magazine, and they changed the name of it now. But a couple of years ago, they had a contest. Uh, it was actually about four years ago now. They had a contest uh, to do a picture from Arizona Wine Vine for uh-huh. the cover. And so I just took it at my house took a picture of one of their bottles of wine, of a bottle of wine in one of my grapevines at my house in Gilbert over in the Seville area, which is south, far southeast valley. Um, and it ended, actually ended up winning the contest. And so it got on the cover of the magazine. So that was kind of a wow. fun little thing. You know, and a lot of people, as soon as they saw it, they couldn't believe that the picture was taken in the suburbs of Gilbert, Arizona yeah. um, on, a, on a Merlot grapevine. So had some success with the Merlot and the Cabernet grapes there. And then, as you said in the introduction, my wife and I purchased a home. We're on an acre and a half on a county island in Chandler and purchased that almost four years ago now. And as soon as I, I mean, pretty much moved in and as soon as we moved in, I started planting grapevines right away. Um, I've got 16 different varieties of grapevines at this point, everything from Merlot, Cabernet, Syrah, the typical Arizona ones that you see, the Thompson, Flame, um, Chardonnay, mm-hmm. uh, even Arizona Canyon grape, which is kind of a unique one that grows up in the canyons of northern Arizona. And a lot of people don't know that there actually is a native oh, yes. northern Arizona wine vine. So I've had great success with all of them. And that's really, as a lot of people talk to me about getting into, you know, growing anything in Arizona wine or any kind of grapevine, I always tell them is a great way to start because they're low maintenance, they're easy, you know, they tend to yield quite a bit yeah. um, early, so you're not waiting five or six years, you know, for them to start turning fruit. Yeah. So it's a great way to kind of jump into it. So as I said, you know, right when we moved in, I planted those, and then right away I knew I wanted to start kind of creating some microclimates because our, our one-and-a-half acre basically had just a giant grass field and then a large 15-year-old lemon tree, Wow. And then two large old male mulberry trees. And that was it on our whole property. So there were no other trees. So it was just wide open. So, which is great. It was a blank canvas. But at the same time, I knew that to grow some of the plants I eventually wanted to grow, I needed to create some microclimates around the yard. Yeah. 
So I planted a bunch of different citrus, just lemons, limes, um, pink lemons, uh, grape, ruby red grapefruit, key limes, just kind of started with some of those uh, peaches, some stone fruit peaches and Mm -hmm. nectarines and planted those in kind of in the center uh, right behind our house so I could kind of create some kind of a microclimate on either side of it. Right. And so planted those right away. Those grew up really quickly. And then about two years ago, I started really diving into planting the tropical stuff as some of that started to grow in. And once I got into the tropical stuff, I realized I wanted even more microclimates. Uh, and I started really getting into the, the nut trees yeah. and started planting almond trees and pecan trees and uh, some of the trees that can get larger to create some of those shaded areas, shaded, yeah. you know, for the intense, intense summers that we have here in Phoenix and to help protect some of the plants. And now uh, I have probably close to 150 different trees on the property mm-hmm. um, that I've planted over the last three years. And I, I don't know if I, if you want me to go through the entire list, but it's, well, uh, we'll get, we'll get there. Up. We'll get there. Cause I've got, yeah, I've so, got questions for you, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, then it ranges from everything from stuff you would typically find in California all the way down to South America to stuff you would find in Florida, stuff you'd find in Brazil, like, like coffee beans. I mean, I, I really tried to just be as, unique and vast as I can to just, you know, if I see something that I think is interesting, mm-hmm. I try and get it and then try and figure out how to grow it. Nice. Um, you know, and it's a lot of trial and error. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. And it, it's, you know, as, as I've gotten more into it in the last year, I, I found out there's a lot of other people like me who do this type of stuff and, you know, get a little crazy with it where you get obsessed with all the different <laughs> varieties yeah. and everything. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun finding the community that there is, you know, and things like the urban farm where you can go and learn more and, right. you know, learn from other people's mistakes and other people's experiences and, and really dive all the way into it. It's really been fun learning from other people, but also being able to help other people. Right. I was just over at someone's house this morning helping him, you know, find certain areas of his yard that would work for the certain types of fruits he wants to grow. Nice. You know, I that's one of the things that I've uh, I really enjoy is that yeah i learn along the way but then sharing it is a you know there's a big bonus there so oh yeah there's nothing better than you know when someone comes over to your yard and you have you know like right now i i this last week i've had a number of people come over and i'm growing right now like horned melons uh-huh. uh, which are you really unique yeah. uh, vine and i have literally probably two to three hundred horned melons wow. up there growing underneath a bunch of my t- uh, trees and it, it all started back in April. I went to Whole Foods and picked up a horned melon, and I thought, you know, I'll bet I could probably get this to grow. And so I took the seeds and took them out underneath a bunch of my tropical trees, and now I have horned melons everywhere. Yeah. So, so I, I want to. Sometimes it's just as easy as that. Yeah, exactly. I want to stop you on that one because that is profound what you just did. People ask yeah. me, you know, where do you get seeds? And often you just you go at the grocery store. You know, you, you go to Whole Foods and they have a horned melon and, oh my gosh, I like these seeds, grow them. It it yeah. it, it really can be that simple, right? And, and absolutely. And I tell people that's the best way to do it because then you're going and you get to pick out something you've never tried before mm-hmm. and you get to taste it. And, and then you, once you've tasted it, you can think, okay, is, is this juice worth the squeeze? Like, yeah. is this yeah. something that I want to put the time and, you know, and the water and energy into growing? because it's something that, you know, either I like or my wife likes or my kids like, you know, and like the horned melons are a great example. I mean, my kids and all their friends absolutely love that because 
if you never cut open the inside of a horned melon, it's almost like a green slime. I mean, yeah. that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah. I mean, it tastes similar to like kind of it has a banana cucumberish taste to it. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, my kids and their friends love it because it's such a unique fruit when you cut it open and you know, it, it's got that consistency like a slime or like a jello, right. um, which probably doesn't sound real appetizing, but it well, is. Really we'll just call it jello. Yeah, there you go. Jello is probably a little more, sounds a little better, but yeah. And stuff like that, you know, once you get to try it and then you think, yeah, you know, this is something that would be fun to try and grow and then take the seeds from the fruit you ate and, you know, try and get it going. Going, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. That's a great tip for our listeners. So you have mentioned multiple times since we got, uh, since we started the recording, microclimate. Can you kind of speak to what that means a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Microclimate, especially in a place here, you know, like in Phoenix, uh, where we can have huge temperature swings, even like right now Mm -hmm. um, is a great example during the winter, you know, at night we can get down to 30 degrees and then by two or three in the afternoon, like a day like today, we're up at 65, 70 degrees. So you have these huge temperature swings and the temperature swings also, you know, if you spread them out from the summer to the winter, you know, the summer you can get up to 115, 120. And in the winters, you know, we can have nights that get down into the twenties, um, depending on which part of the valley you live in. Right. So there's these huge temperature swings, you know, sometimes day, even within a 24 hour period, but also from summer to winter. And so the microclimates give you protection from those temperature swings and those temperature variations that we see a microclimate, you know, you plant a large tree that provides shade that will protect the trees or the vines or the plants that you're growing underneath it from that intense summer sun. Mm-hmm. I also have a very unique microclimate in my yard. Uh, we have a basement in our house and we have a patio that goes out onto our basement and our basement is about probably about 14 feet down. Wow. And outside there I have planters going all the way up the stairs that lead you up to the back of our yard. Oh, and so nice. those planters are, yeah, those planters are a really unique microclimate because you know, everybody thinks, well, it's crazy more people don't have basements in Arizona because they always stay cool. What they don't realize is that in the winter, it's the opposite of that. The basements right. always stay warmer. warmer. Yep. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's not always that they're cool. It's just in the summer, they're cooler. In the winter, they're warmer. Mm-hmm. And so that my microclimate in that outdoor area, even if we're at, you know, 25 degrees up above, down below in those planters, it always stays about... 35 to 40 at the absolute coldest yeah. because the ground that's behind those planters helps, you know, keep the warmth in down there. Mm-hmm. So it really provides a very unique microclimate down there where it never really gets to freezing down there at all. So that's where I keep some of my more, you know, pineapples and coffee beans, stuff like that, that, yeah. you know, passion fruit. I mean, I have a passion fruit vine down there that really grows year round because it never gets cold enough down there to knock it back. Right. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, the, the microclimate, you know, like I said, the, the shade during the summer is a great thing, but then, uh, you know, it also protects you in these temperatures, you know, like certain microclimates within my yard mm-hmm. at night when it drops down to 30 degrees, I have certain pockets in my yard that may only drop down to 40, right. you know, be it, there's like a 10 degree difference because of all the protection from all those plants that are surrounding it. Yeah. So yeah, the microclimates are, you kind of think of it as like little pockets in your yard that you can create more protection for your plants, whether it be in the summer where it stays a little cooler mm-hmm. or in the winter where it stays a little warmer. Beautiful. 
Beautiful. And so another thing you've mentioned multiple times was wine grapes. And so did you get wine grapes? And if so, did you make wine? I have not made wine yet. It's funny because everybody always asks that. And every time I've, I've been able to get enough grapes off the vines to actually try to make some, we've always moved right as I was getting to the point where I'd get enough. Yeah. So, um, and now with, you know, a six-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, the kids, they absolutely <laughs> love going out there and picking the grapes yeah. and eating them. So it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, by the time the kids get to them or the birds get to them, um, at this point, I still haven't had enough that I've grown on the property that I've been able to take them and make wine with it. But I, that is something I'm planning on doing probably the next two to three years. Nice. Um, and doing a, you know, kind of like an Arizona blend, I guess, between yeah. some of the, the better grapes that I get, whether it be some of the Merlot or Petit Verdot, Cabernet, the Syrah, you know, so it, it'd probably be something that I do with a red uh, another one that I, I don't have one yet, but I want to get a Grenache vine or a couple of Grenache vines because I think just from Ooh. reading about the terrain that they tend to like, it seems like they would do pretty well here in the Phoenix area. Yeah. Interesting, because that, that seems to be one of the challenges. I've got Syrah grapes growing out in the backyard and they seem, you know, they seem they do marginally well, whereas my Thompson seedless is a practical weed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the same thing with the grapevines. You know, the microclimates make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, the ones that the, the the true wine grapes, um, and it's funny the you would think for whatever reason everybody always thinks the red wine grapes are the ones you can stick right out in the sun, um, and really it's the opposite. The Chardonnays, those grapevines, I can put those out next to the Thompson seedless, and they just go crazy. Just thrive, interesting. Um, but the Cabernet and the Syrah, yeah, it's, and and it really is. It's just because you're buying a grapevine does not mean that grapevine can take the same type of sun, the same type of climate that another grapevine could. Yeah. So it really depends from variety to variety. You really kind of have to do some trial and error. And, and play. To, uh, right out. Yeah, and, and play with it. And right out in my backyard, I have a Cabernet Sauvignon uh, grapevine that is absolutely flourishing right now. And it just, for some reason, it hasn't decided that it wants to go through it's a maturation process, and it's still putting out leaves like crazy. But, yeah, you put them in certain areas of your yard, and it's amazing how once they get in that spot where they you, you kind of trick them to think that they're in a little different climate, yeah. and they just flourish. And they flourish. Nice. Have you noticed that grapes uh, tend to be smaller than what we find in the grocery store? Yes, definitely. You know, and I think that a lot of that comes from our intense heat during the summers. Yeah. but. When it comes to wine grapes, really, that's kind of what you want um, because uh, the, the smaller they are, typically the more intense the flavor from the grape is. Oh. Um, so when you go to a lot of wine regions, and that, that was the thing I learned back in 2001 when I went out to Napa Sonoma, is that they talked about how they really try to stress the grapevines because that creates a more intense grape flavor that then turns into a more intense mm. wine. So when they said that, in my mind, I took that as, well, we have enough stress with our heat that <laughs> exactly. it's kind of built in, you know? So yeah. you can kind of plant your grapevines and they automatically get stressed by the heat we have here. Right. So they do tend to be smaller. Um, even the table grapes, you know, the Thompson seedless and the flame. I mean, I, there are parts of my yard where I have some of those grapevines where I do get them as large as you can get in the store, but it's, it's more because of the microclimate than it is, you know, the specific grapevine. Yeah. But yeah, the, as far as the wine grapes, they're very small, you know, for a lot of people listening to this, if you've ever seen champagne grapes, champagne mm, grapes are typically teeny. a really small grape. Yeah. Yeah. Very tiny. And that's usually the grapes 
that I grow here as far as the wine grapes will be, that'll be kind of the average size to a little bigger than that. Yeah. Cool. All right. On to the rest of your list or part of the rest of your list. What is a peanut butter fruit? Peanut butter fruit. It's uh, it's like a little red orangish berry and it's, what would it be? Probably the size of like a small plum. I would oh. guess is a good size for it. Uh-huh. And, when you bite into it, to me, like they call it peanut butter fruit because it does taste like peanut butter. To me, it tastes like the peanut butter that you'd get inside of a Reese's peanut butter cup. Ooh. It's not. It's, it's a little more creamy than it would be yeah. typical of peanut butter. You know, peanut butter is usually kind of stick to that roof of your mouth. Yep. Whereas a peanut butter fruit, it's a little more of a creamy peanut butter taste. But it's a great plant. They fruit like crazy. That's when you've got to find the right microclimate in your yard here in Phoenix. They don't like the super intense sun so yeah. underneath another plant is a great spot to plant one of those and i have two of those here on the property and they're both doing phenomenal just i had to move one of them a couple times to get it in another spot that it liked but yeah. they're both doing well now nice you know a big part of what i love doing and i can tell you're doing lots of it is experimenting uh, and then you know and sharing it with people what what's the story behind that for you you know, I, I've always been the type of person where I don't, I, I've, I'm driven by people telling me I can't do things. So when <laughs> right. someone says that I can't do something, that gives me all the more inspiration to absolutely do it. And that was the thing, you know, when I started growing the wine grapes, so many people said, well, you know, those grow in Napa Sonoma, you know, this is such a different climate. You're not going to be able to get those to grow here. And I, I totally disagreed with that because in my mind it was like, no, because so many of the things they talk about are like what we have here. And, you know, in northern Arizona at that point, northern Arizona wasn't growing the wine grapes in southern Arizona. Um, they weren't really growing the wine grapes on a commercial level like they are now. Wow, and now yeah. you, know, you go up to Cottonwood and Sedona and then down uh, south to Sonoida, and they're growing wine grapes, you know, and producing wines that are standing up to any wines in the world. The world, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, and, and wine grapes absolutely can grow here. And, you know, with the right care, even here in Phoenix, you can go, great grapes depending on the variety and you know how much time you're willing to put into it to find the right microclimate within your yard yeah but i've definitely always been inspired by people saying i can't do something so (laughs) as i did the wine grapes and then i started planting you know bananas and everybody's first comment was bananas bananas won't grow in phoenix well yeah they do they grow really well here yeah so that really kind of started me on my experimentation side of things where when someone would tell me i couldn't i in my mind, it was, no, I should be able to, because in a place like Phoenix, we have the sunshine, yeah. you know, we have the warm temperatures, yep. we typically don't have a whole lot of frost, so really the only thing I need to add is water, and if you're smart about how, how you're watering your plants, it's not like you have to, you know, water them constantly here in Phoenix, you know, with the proper mulch and the proper microclimates, you know, I keep saying that word, but if you're smart about how you're planting these things, it really doesn't take a whole lot of extra water. And if you're using that little extra water that you're, you know, paying for, at least you're putting it into something that, you know, you're getting fruits or vegetables or whatever you're doing in your gardening out of, and it's not just going to just grass or, you know, whatever. You're not, you're not wasting water if it's going to something that your family or your friends can eat. Can eat. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. So just over the years, just always, you know, (laughs) uh, really it's all been trial and error and experimentation on my own part. Gotta love um, it. And I've never really, never really dove into much about 
and really I've never really dove into much about reading about stuff because Phoenix is so unique yes. that I would find if I, I'd start reading things and uh-huh. it was you know, pertaining to the Florida climate or California or growing things in Colorado or, you know, and, and that's where it's really tough because just because something works in California or works in Florida or even in Arizona, if something works in Sedona, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work the same way in Phoenix. Yeah. You know, you have to really use that trial and error and figure out, okay, what are the things I can take from that? But then what are the things that I can add to it here in Phoenix that maybe they can't? Yeah. Well, and even down the block, I mean, literally, you know, to somebody two blocks away from you is, is a different space to grow in. Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. And, you know, depending on what trees are planted around your house or, you know, what trees are not planted around your house, right. or what kind of use the area you're living on, you know, the, the place where our house is now, 40, 50 years ago was watermelon patches. Oh. So this land was actually used for farming 40, 50 years ago. And then as homes started moving in, they just kind of left it. And there's now cows that roam out on it. And, you know, so for 40 years, it didn't have anything growing on it. So all this, you know, it's very fertile, rich soil here because it was farmland at one time, but it right. had 40 years to, you know, regenerate and um, get some of the nutrients back into it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, even something like that, I mean, if someone's moving into a hard packed dirt lot, you're going to have a little more work ahead of you, you know, trying to amend the soil and plant some trees to create some microclimates than someone that maybe is moving into a house that was on a former farmland or right. a former land that housed cows or something along those lines. Yeah. So what have you harvested this year that you've been eating? This year, uh, man, you name it. Barbados cherries. Um, I've had a number of Barbados cherries. Which Tell us about those. They're, uh, yeah, Barbados cherries, they are phenomenal for growing here in Phoenix because they can absolutely take our full sun. Mm-hmm. Um, they... My Barbados cherries uh, trees were flowering throughout the whole summer. And so far, you know, through two winters, they haven't been knocked back by the winters at all. Um, even without covering them, might have done great. So they are a small cherry, and they're actually, if you ever buy vitamin C supplements, you'll mm-hmm. notice that it says acerola as one of the supplements that goes into vitamin C. Well, that is actually the Barbados cherry. Barbados cherry, yeah. And it's the highest vitamin C fruit in the world. So depending on what, you know, where you read or whatever, uh, one Barbados cherry can have anywhere from 16 to 60 times the amount of vitamin C as one orange. Isn't that amazing? So it, it, it's absolutely amazing. And I love the taste of the fruits. You know, they're oh, pretty yeah. tart. But when you know you're eating something that has that much vitamin C and, you know, that you grew right there at your house, I mean, it's I, I love the taste of them. I know some people think they're a little too tart, but I think they're phenomenal. <laughs> My kids love them. Yeah. And, you know, and once they start producing, the nice thing is in a place like Phoenix, 11 months out of year, they'll be producing fruit. I was going to say, they're heavy uh, producers, which is, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And they produce pretty much year-round. I mean, pretty much December is about the only, December, middle of December to middle of January is about the only time we don't really see them flowering or fruiting. Yeah. But then, you know, come the end of January, they'll they'll kick right back in. And I've tried to plant kind of throughout my property. That's another thing that kind of that I like to do is plant things like that will constantly be producing. So even, you know, when you're in a downtime year where, you know, the spring or the fall and you may not have, you know, melons producing or stuff in your garden that's producing, at least you've got these trees that are constantly giving you something. Yeah. Um, Another one is the Jamaican cherry. Uh, That's one my kids absolutely love. And that one 
produces fruit nonstop, and it produces a ton, <laughs> a ton of fruit. Jamaican and the cherry. Thing is that, yeah, Jamaican cherry. It's uh, a lot of people also call it the strawberry tree because the flowers on it look very similar to strawberry flowers. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it has a number of different names, but I, the one I kind of have stuck with is Jamaican cherry. It, it produces a small cherry. I don't know. I would say like the cherry itself is a little smaller than like a penny. Oh. Um, but the taste on them is phenomenal. They taste like my kids think they taste like cotton candy. Oh, nice. I, I personally think, yeah, I, and I think they taste kind of like Fruity Pebble cereal. If you've ever had the Fruity yep. Pebble cereal, that's that's what they taste like to me. But I'll pull, like, just off one tree, I'll pull 10 to 20 cherries off a day right now. Wow. And it's been like that for probably three or four months now. Yeah. So, and, and that's very similar to the Barbados cherry not not as far as the tree goes, but as far as how they produce fruit. It's kind of a year-round mm-hmm. fruit producer, and it's such an easy one for the kids to go up and pick off the little cherries, and they love them. And, you know, and anybody that comes over here, the, the shape and the look of the tree, it's a very cool-looking tropical tree, and it did great down here in Arizona. I've actually got three of them now, and one of them I planted back in May, and it was about probably about a foot tall, mm-hmm. and now it's about a nine-foot-tall tree. Oh, my gosh. And wow. Yeah, and that's just in five, six months. Yeah. Some of the other things uh, you'd asked about, other things that we've harvested here, pecans, almonds, mangoes, mulberries, uh, miracle fruit, lots of basil, watermelon, mm-hmm. um, sweet potatoes. Um, those are all things. Goji berries, of course, all the different citrus. Those are all things that we've been harvesting throughout this year. Yeah. So you've actually harvested goji berries. Yes. Nice. Nice. And they're high in antioxidants, yeah. I think. They are one of the highest antioxidant fruits there is. And they're not one of my favorite tasting berries, I would say that, but they're definitely edible. You know, it's, yeah. it's not something I am scared to eat or anything, but mm-hmm. it's as far as, you know, my favorites, as far as the taste of fruits, they're not one of my favorites, but I like them. And, you know, they're great to add to smoothies or, oh, right. um, you know, if you make fried rice or, you know, whatever stuffing. And they're great to throw in that type of stuff as kind of a compliment. And they're so high in antioxidants. It's a great thing to eat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, I, this, this list of trees, there's gotta be 70 different types of trees on this list. It's just amazing. We could literally talk for days. Yeah. And what I want to know is of this list, what is your favorite? My favorite, man, it's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> tough. It's tough. I, I would say my favorite, the ones that I'm probably the most proud of at this point are my mamey sapotes. I absolutely love, if you've never tried a mamey sapote fruit, oh. uh, it is, it's incredible. It tastes, it's, uh, if you, depending on the variety, they can be as large as a football, honestly, like the size oh of a gosh. football. And when you cut it open, it's, typically like a, a salmon color on the inside, uh-huh. um, like a, a burnt orange or a salmon color, and it has the consistency of an avocado, but it tastes just like, I mean, exactly like sweet potato or pumpkin pie. And that's oh just, yep. I mean, that's doing nothing to it. That's just pulling it, cutting it open and taking a spoon and just scooping it out. And it, it does, it tastes just like pumpkin pie or sweet potato pie. And depending on the variety, it can be more of a vanilla or chocolatey flavor to it. Um, is what I found. There, are, there are a couple mamey varieties that I'm not crazy about. As I, there are other varieties that are just phenomenal, and so I have three mamey sapote uh, plants here on the property 
three all three different varieties and one of them I actually it was one I had ordered from Florida I ordered a shipment of just the fruit from Florida last year because I wanted to try some different varieties and the one that I liked the taste of the best I planted the seed and it in May uh, popped up and now it's about a four foot tall tree and so that one's a really fun one yeah Yeah, so the mamays are and they're very unique looking tree like if you've never seen Mamey Sapote tree, they're so cool looking, just very unique, especially for somewhere like in Phoenix. Yeah. So I but, I see a theme going on here. So far yeah. you've if so far you've pretty much explained all the fruit you're growing in the shape of candy. So you have all kinds yeah. of candy <laughs> growing out in your yard. Do your kids ever, you know, get candy or is this your candy forest in the backyard? That's kind of how, yeah, and that's probably why I equated the candy so much because that's my kids. It's like that's the first thing they always want to equate the fruit to. As soon as they uh, bite into it, yes. uh-huh. they kind of say, "Oh, this tastes like a jelly bean," or "This tastes, you know, like cotton candy." So, you know, with a six-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, and a two-month-old, my kids <laughs> are, you know, they're always out there in the garden with me, and they love watching the trees grow and helping, you know, plant them. And then, you know, my little two-year-old, every time we go out, she goes, "What's that one?" And so then I'll say, oh, that's a Jamaican cherry. And she goes, oh, I like Jamaican cherry. <laughs> and, you know, no matter, or pineapple or right. whatever it is. I, so, yeah. So, and it, it's great for the kids, too, because then they see the process. And, you know, they they love going out and grabbing stuff off the trees and running into the house and cutting it open and eating it. Yeah. You know, just yesterday we went out and cut a watermelon. And between the three kids, my three oldest, they just devoured that watermelon in yeah. no time. That's so, got to make you know, it that, feel that great. That makes it very rewarding. That's got to oh, make it Oh, it does. Feel, yeah. You know, and it's... it's such a great, I mean, even digging the holes for the trees, you know, they love coming out there and digging the holes and, yeah. you know, finding worms. And I also do worm composting here. So I've got a tower that I do worms um, and use the compost to fertilize the trees. Right. And the kids love playing with that, you know, digging out the worms. And I mean, it's just, it's such a great experience for them to get their hands dirty yeah. and be able to jump in the holes and um, just have fun with it. Yeah. Beautiful. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that ferry, and what you might have learned from it. Yeah, well, you know, I always say failure is just a part of learning. Exactly. So as you yep. fail, you know, use it, use it as a point where you can figure out what you did wrong and then uh-huh. how to make it better so you don't do it again. You know, um, like I always say, you know, if you drive to work every day and you get a flat tire every day when you go to work, then you probably should take a different route the next time you'll get a flat tire <laughs> exactly. every day. So, um, and that's, that's really how I see it is with the fruit trees. It's, if something doesn't work, figure out why it didn't work and try and do it better the next time. And, you know, and, and one of the things I always tell everybody, when you, whenever you're dealing with anything planting-wise, whether it's planting in a garden or planting fruit trees or anything that you want to plant, just pay attention. You know, so many people think they can just stick the tree in the ground and then once every three weeks go out and check on it. Yeah. And if you really want success, that's not going to work. You, you need to pay attention to what you're doing, pay attention to how you're planting, pay attention to the plant. You know, if the plant needs more water, it'll show you that it needs more water. If it's getting too much water, it'll show you that it's stressed and it's getting too much water. So if you're paying attention to the plant, you usually can catch something before it gets to the point that the plant is dead. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah can have failures but you don't have to look at it as your failures being ultimate failures where you're completely losing the trees it could be you know just where you just need to correct it and then once you've figured out what you did wrong you can correct it and make the plant thrive right and so a couple of the plants that i've 
you know, like coffee beans are kind of a tricky one here in Phoenix. They do not like our heat and they don't like the cold. Mm. And so those are ones that I've had struggles with just finding the right locations for those so they can thrive. And, you know, and the fun thing with coffee is they, the coffee plants, they'll tell you pretty quickly if they don't like the spot they're in. Uh-huh. Um, the leaves will get real crispy. And, but then if they're in a spot they like, they'll grow like crazy. So, and I, I mean, you could see a huge difference in a coffee plant, even in a week or two, just in growth or, you know, the leaves get singed and it looks right. like it's on the doorstep of death. Yeah. So, um, you know, so that's where I would say the failures, it's just, you know, figuring out your yard, figuring out your climate that you're living in, um, and the microclimate you have, and then making those work. And it's a lot of trial and error. So you will have some failures, you'll have, you know, successes, but the successes you have, make all those failures so much more, you know, so much worth it. So that, you know, when you're picking all these Jamaican cherries and Barbados cherries and hornmelons and all this fun stuff, you know, when you're out there with your kids, the the failures don't even cross your mind because, you know, you're seeing the success of the fruits of like literally the fruits of your labor. Labor, Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, especially when your kids go running out in the backyard, grab food, bring it in and consume it and just, you know, yeah, that's got to just feel great. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, and that's a, like, I, that's the thing that I think so many people don't understand, you know, wh- whether you're in Phoenix, Arizona or Minneapolis, Minnesota, or Sacramento, California, or, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, wherever you are, there's a good chance you can grow something there that you can yeah. pull in, you know, whether it's during the summer or, you know, if you want to make yourself a little greenhouse. I mean, if you want something to grow bad enough, there's a way to figure out to to make it grow, you know? And so like for people that say, Oh, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I could never do a garden. No, you you could, there's, there's ways you could do it if you really wanted to, you know, and then we're blessed here in a place like Phoenix where really we can grow stuff year round. Um, And it's just, it's amazing how many people don't understand that because they just think of Phoenix as a desert right? and Oh, it's a desert. So all you can grow here is cactus and tumbleweeds. And no, you can grow pretty much anything you want to in Phoenix. That's the cool thing about it here. That's for sure. That is for sure. So what do you consider your biggest success? Biggest success? I would just say growing the fruit trees has been, I like in general, just because, you know, I, everybody I talked to always talked about gardening and growing, you know, things like lettuce and peppers and all that, which I did for a couple of years right when we moved into this property. And once, you know, I kind of went through all that and, I grew lettuces and peppers and onions and, you know, turmeric and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was fun, but I really, I wanted a challenge and I wanted to be able to grow things that I couldn't just go to the store and find, Um, you know, and, and really as I, as I started doing that, I started finding out that the reason a lot of these fruits and things that I'm growing on the trees here, a lot of the reason that you don't find those in stores is because they can't survive the shipping process. You know, right. or they have like a four or five day shelf life. Yeah. And once you start growing that type of stuff, you realize, huh, the stuff that doesn't have the long shelf life really in a lot of ways is the stuff that's the healthiest for me. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. like the Barbados cherries are a great example that because they're so high in the vitamin C content, they basically go rotten after about five days off the tree. Right. You know, and the Jamaican cherries are another example. You know, they're one of the best fruits for controlling blood, uh, blood sugar. And you'll notice if you pull those off the tree for about three days after they're off, they're great. 
And then by day four, they almost taste like you're eating a little pill of alcohol because they just totally become like a fermented fruit Yeah. like by day four. So, and, and you start realizing, yeah, the reason you can't find all these unique fruits on stands and grocery stores is because they won't survive that long. Yeah. And, you know, and then the ones that you will find on grocery stores that you can grow when you grow them at your house, they'll taste so much better because you're pulling them when they're supposed to be pulled yeah. instead of having to pull them, you know, two weeks before they're ripe and then letting them ripe on, ripen on the store shelf. Right. So, and that's where, you know, things like horn melons are a good example. You'll find those at Whole Foods, you know, you'll pay $6 for one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have one on a vine at your house and you grow it when it's supposed to be picked mm-hmm. or you pick it when it's supposed to be picked, I mean, mm-hmm. it just tastes like you can't even compare the difference in taste when something has matured to the point that it's supposed to be picked until, uh, you know, as opposed to one that was picked two weeks early. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So what drives you? Uh, I think it goes back to just, you know, a part of it is definitely the people say you can't and I say, well, I can. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's part of it. But I think also just, I love being able to, you know, kind of be self-sustaining in growing fruit and growing my own food. And not only that, but just the visually what it looks like, you know, when you've got these huge pecan trees that are losing their leaves in the fall and, um, you know, and then in the spring you've got things like a jacarunda and Royal Poinciana that are putting out these just phenomenal flowers or a Texas Mount Laurel that has, you know, the flowers that smell like grape candy or, you know, then I go back to the candy thing, but you know, just all these, it's just such a rewarding experience just, you know, day after day and week after week and month after month. It's not something that's just, you know, you spend one day on it and you get that small victory and then it's over with. It's something that is kind of a continuous victory where, you know, every time you're going outside and, you know, there's something else blooming there's something else fruiting, you're constantly seeing the fruits of your labor and being rewarded for the time and work you put into it. Yeah. So I, I would say that's kind of what drives me at this point is it's just the overall experience is just it's so rewarding and just so fulfilling to be able to dive into it and, you know, have fun with it and um, try fruits that you've never tried and experience things that you've never experienced, you know, with the different growing of trees and yeah. fruits and vines and everything else. I mean, it's just it's such a rewarding experience that I think people don't understand until you start growing it. You know, as soon and, and th- that's the one warning I would tell people: be careful, because as soon as you start planting one thing, you have some success. Yeah, it's gonna make you want to start growing more and uh-huh. more and more. Uh-huh. And going and going. Yeah, my biggest challenge here at the Urban Farm is I don't have enough land. I have a third of an acre. Yeah, you know, and it's like, man, I wish I had twice that or three times that. You know. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's the thing is it's. In, in some ways, your only limitations are on the size of the plot of land you have. But at the same time, I mean, you know, I've been to people's houses that had small yards and they would do like almost like they dug down for a trampoline. Yep. But then they did tiered planting, you know, to use the make the most out of their yard. So just, you know, just because you are limited to space doesn't mean you can't get creative and figure out ways to make that space work for you. Perfect. So what we haven't talked about your wife and how she feels about this. What's, what's her feelings about all of this hobby of yours? Uh, she's my wife. She's uh, awesome. She lets me just kind of be the mad scientist with all that stuff. So <laughs> I, you know, I go out and I, I think she's kind of been shocked by how much we've been able to grow. And there's been plenty of times where she's kind of looked at me kind of 
with a sly smile, like, are you sure you're going to be able to get that one to grow? <laughs> um, you know, or like when, I, when we got the horned melons from Whole Foods yeah. that day, and I said, you know, I think I could get these to grow. And she kind of laughed at me, and then here we are, you know, five months later, we have horned melons everywhere, everywhere. outside. Yeah. So, um, but yes, you know, and she loves the fact, too, that, you know, just for our kids, I mean, it's giving them this experience to be out there in the garden and helping the you know, nutritional aspect where they're not just, you know, eating chips all day. You know, it's, yeah. it gives them a way to get excited about healthy food and foods they should be eating and concentrating on the taste foods that, you know, hopefully eventually they'll want to grow. Yeah. And, you know, when my kids go to the grocery store and, you know, there are samples of fruit and, you know, I'll give a sample of an apple and my kids turn around and go, Oh, this apple, this is horrible compared to the ones we have at our house. <laughs> you know, and so there's, they're seeing the difference, you know, from the stuff when you grow it on your own, you're controlling, you know, what you're putting into the foods and you can keep them as possible. And yeah. uh, so, I mean, on that aspect, my wife loves what we're doing here just because, you know, it's natural and we're, you know, trying to maintain all of our health and also our sanity. You know, when you have oh, four yeah. kids under the age of six, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. it's, it's a nice release for me to be able to get outside and, you know, get out of the house where kids are just running around like crazy. So and yeah. plus when they get outside, it gets some of their energy out. So it's nice for my wife to get a break when I take them outside with me and they're exactly. out climbing trees and picking fruits. And yeah, and that's a great thing. I've got my own citrus pickers here at the house. So I just send them All out right. with a bag and you know, they'll spend an hour picking lemons or limes yep. or whatever. So it's a great little release for them. Nice. Nice. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Advice is, you know, I get that question a lot from people that, you know, say, well, how have you had so much success or, you know, how have you gotten so much to grow or so many varieties to grow? And I tell everybody, just pay attention. You know, mm-hmm. it's not rocket science. It's, you know, if you just pay attention to what you're doing, you know, before you plant, find the right spot for that plant, you know, kind of read up on the plant and find out what kind of climate it likes, you know, or can it take full sun? And just because something says it can take full sun, make sure it's not saying it can take full sun in Florida because full sun in Florida is different than full sun in Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, you know, and, and then once you do plant it, you know, and, and something I tell people too all the time, when you go buy a plant from a nursery or wherever and you bring it to your house, set it in the location that you think it would do well and keep it there for a week or two and just mm-hmm. see how the leaves respond to that spot. Yeah. You know, if you start noticing the leaves are getting crispy right away, that's probably not going to be the perfect spot for it. Or you may have to look at getting some shade cloth for it for the first couple of years. You know, and a lot of times with a lot of the tropical plants, if you give them shade the first two or three years, it doesn't have to be crazy shade, just shade from another tree, or you can buy some, you know, 30 or 40% shade cloth and stick it over the top of it. Yeah. But Typically, the tropical plants will grow into being able to take our intense sun, but you have to protect them for a few years. And so, you know, I tell people just if that's the spot you really want it, just be prepared for a little work, you know, putting up shade cloths or putting up some frost cloth cloth for the first couple of years as you're trying to get it acclimated to our climate. Uh But as long as you're just paying attention to your plants, you'll know right away, okay, something's not right. The leaves are curling you know, in, okay, so that, you know, you may be watering it too much, or, you know, my leaves are getting crispy around the edges, okay, you may not be watering it enough, you know, just pay attention, and there's so, with the internet and everything now, there's so much information out there, you know, and anytime you're having any kind of issues, you know, like if your leaves are getting crispy, go on Google and say, leaves are crispy on my lime tree, you know, and there's usually a ton of people that have advice on why your leaves may be crispy, and 
not to say that it's good advice, but usually if you're reading through it, you may find something that, you know, strikes a nerve where it's, oh, yeah, that's exactly like my tree. You right. know, or you may see a picture and say, oh, that looks exactly like my tree does right now. So if you're just paying attention to what mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, when you're planting them, you know, pay attention to the soil. And if you're just sticking it in rock hard dirt, that's not giving that tree the best chance to survive. Yeah. You know, bend your soil, you know, and, and feed your trees. You know, I think a lot of people think they can just pop a tree in the ground and then just come back and check on it two or three years, you know, as long as they're watering it, it's okay. Well, trees are a lot like people. They need to eat. So, you know, make sure yeah. you're giving it the nutrients that it needs. And, um, you know, whether that's through mulch or worm castings or, you know, if you want to go to the store and buy fertilizers, I mean, whatever it is, just make sure you're giving that tree what it needs to survive. And if you're just paying attention to it, you're going to start to understand what it needs and what it doesn't need and what it likes and what it doesn't like. And so really just paying attention can go a long way. Beautiful. Beautiful. My favorite quote of yours today, is it worth the squeeze? (laughs) Yes. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's, I tell people that all the time, like before you dive into, you know, I've talked to a couple people that, you know, planted a whole bunch of pomegranates uh-huh. um, and then they ended up not liking pomegranates yep. and, um, or jujubes is another one. You know, a lot of people love the look of the jujube tree and then they plant it and they try it and they realize, yeah, I don't really like this fruit. Yeah. So I always try to plant stuff on my property that, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. The time I'm putting into it yep. is the fruit that's coming off of it going to be something that I want to, you know, enjoy. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Corey. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Oh, absolutely, Greg. Thank you so much. And, you know, I wish everybody the best of luck. And, you know, everybody share your stories, share your experiences, share your failures. You know, everybody is here. That's one thing I've noticed about the community of everybody that's in, whether it be gardening or tree farming or whatever it is. It's a, it's a community that loves to help and see other people succeed, um, which is an awesome thing for you know, especially society as it is today, it's nice and refreshing to have a community that wants everybody to succeed. Yeah. Beautifully said. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? One of the best ways is Facebook page. I have a Facebook page at Tropics of AZ. So you just go to Facebook and at Tropics of AZ and you'll find the Facebook page and there's pictures of the various trees I have grown throughout the property here. I think I've got nice. a couple pictures of a couple of mesa potes up there. And then yeah. I'm constantly updating it with information about stuff that we're harvesting right now. And the Jamaican cherries, I think I just put some up there a couple of days ago Beautiful. about Jamaican cherries. So you can see what they look like. And yeah, I just, I use it as a way to kind of let people know, okay, you can have success here and here's mm-hmm. what the success looks like in Chandler, mm-hmm. Arizona. You know, and yeah. here's what you can expect from this kind of a tree. So just so people can see what a tree looks like, what the fruit looks like, you know, and then maybe help them understand a little bit by the pictures that I show like, oh, okay, well, that's the microclimate he has it growing in. So maybe I can recreate that here in my yard. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you. And you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash tropics of AZ. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. 
they think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.